You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and I almost forgot the name of the podcast. I was like, another episode of Acumen Law. I'm Kyla Lee at Driving Law. <laughs> Whoops. Um, with me is my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Well, I'm not really with you, Kyla, because you're in the office I'm and the uh, and I'm at home. I'm in bed. This is the pillow talk version of uh, of Driving Law. Great. Uh, well, our listeners will be excited to know that the Pillow Talk version of Driving Law includes 20 minutes of discussion with Grant Gokatru, uh and Paul having Pillow Talk. So uh, we have uh, back in the podcast this week, we've got uh, retired Corporal Grant Gokatru. And uh, the reason we've got him on, uh, aside from the fact that last week I said we'd get him on again soon, was this tweet. That we saw from the Delta police that you and I were briefly discussing earlier today. Uh, and uh, in this tweet, it's a day old now. It was, uh, it'll was it be two days old when the podcast comes out. It says on October, October 19th, the DPD Commercial Vehicle Enforcement Unit was sent the following dash cam video showing a container truck heading eastbound on the Delta port overpass attempting to pass another eastbound tractor. Narrowly missing a head-on collision, and you see that video, and my God, it's terrifying, huh? What a dummy! Just, I mean, just it's these guys. Anyways, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, you wonder what's going on. Like he's driving; he doesn't have a, a load on it. He's got one of these trailers that can haul a uh, a, a container, and he's coming from. Let me say, he's eastbound, I guess. So he's uh, yeah. coming away from the Delta port, and he's coming around a corner. He's behind another tractor trailer, and it's double solid line, and he's over the line into oncoming traffic. It looks like he's trying to pass, but he could uh, just be a, he could be a tool. Well, yeah. <laughs> I like to think it's the uh, the latter because I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> to try to do that type of a pass on an overpass on a slight corner like that would just be uh beyond um beyond sane especially when you think that of all the vehicles out there that have dashboard cameras commercial vehicles and semi trucks they almost all have them now so they have to know they're being recorded and 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 especially when you're in an area where there's lots like uh delta port there is full of semi trucks so you're going to have probably 80 or 90 percent of the trucks have dashboard cameras so um um i can't see the guy would be stupid enough to try to pass in that area i mean i suppose anything's possible but well yeah that's what i was thinking that he didn't seem like it would, anybody would be that dumb um to try and pass at that spot and maybe he was going too fast and drifted out of his lane or something like that oh uh, there's i'm sure there's a multitude of reasons i mean it could have been a, a mechanical defect with the truck i mean really at the end of the day i suppose um that's not uh <laughs> that, that doesn't appear to be what the uh what the delta police concluded 
Um, I just, uh, you know, I'm looking at it and I, I think, um, it was likely a, a dangerous driving charge, but they probably couldn't conclude who the driver was because the, the, the facts are very similar to Regina and Reed 1998, um, Supreme court of Canada decision, which came out of BC. And I think that was on the sea to sky highway where somebody drove over the line like that over a double solid line and, the court said, I, I cannot see how this could not be considered dangerous driving. Yeah. But you have to have, you have to have a driver to charge. Yeah. You can't charge but, a company with dangerous driving. No, that's true. Well, so there was a charge here in the end. Um, and, uh, we, we can see it there on the Twitter account. Um, well, of course, they, they you know they, they they left out the big part about they hand out a ticket. Yeah, and they left the out ticket. the big part about how they, how they how they identified him as the driver. Really, at the end exactly. of the day, you know. So it says, well, the the issue is who is charged. It says members of our truck section worked with partner agencies to investigate and identify the driver. The driver was issued two tickets: drive without due care and cross double solid line. So if yeah. they got to the point where they're issuing it as the driver, the, this photograph of the ticket does not show whether or not the individual is charged or the company is charged. Well, there was another report that said it was over $1,200 in fines and, uh, and nine points. I don't see $1,200 in fines on that one ticket unless they decided to bone them under the Motor Carrier Act on a different violation ticket. Well, um, we might as well talk about the, uh, we might as well talk about the ticket itself and, and get yeah. to the uh, big reveal, I suppose. So sure. um, <laughs> the uh, the ticket, um, you can see what the charges were. And count one is written, drive W slash O, do care. I suppose that's drive without do care. And then it says, act or regs. And it says, MV, sort of. It's kind of, they look like um, some sort of cryptic uh, um letters that uh yeah uh, ancient some sort of ancient script probably carved into clay tablets and then it's written 144 <laughs> 1a you can make that out well enough <laughs> about 368 dollars well that's pretty certain huh drive without due care um you know it may have been a it may have been a strategic mistake which is a defense to driving without due care right um mm -hmm. If you're if you're doing your best and being relatively careful and you make a mistake, that's a strategic <coughs> mistake. Thanks to that. But the next charge is the big reveal. It says cross double solid line. Okay, that's no big problem. Again, you've got this cryptic clouds and maybe a V, maybe an R, Mister. And then instead of act being checked, it's regs being checked. Yeah, regs have been checked, and then. And, and the then there's a sub section. Yeah. Can you make it out? I I can make out the 155, but I can't make out the next the next cryptic symbol. It looks like an H. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it could be a, a bad L. It could uh, be a, yeah. a D and D and an H written together. That's right. It's actually um, supposed to be a number. <laughs> That's definitely yeah, not a number. It's not a. It's not a number. I don't know. It's maybe it's supposed to be a one. Well, it would the be. Offense is one fifty one one a. I don't know. Yes. Well, it will be interesting to see if um, the um, 
ticket center um, cancels the ticket and sends it back for uh, wrong section. Uh, well, they might because, because of the regs, Jack. Because because of the regs and and because the section number itself is is doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a 155 subsection H subsection. Is that a D? Yeah. Is that a G or an A? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna post a ticket that's been issued, uh, there needs to be some sort of quality control. Make sure that you know. <laughs> You mean, Whoever you mean Delta, the, the police department have yeah, some quality sure control Delta before PD they put it on is, Twitter? Well, obviously the person who, who took this photograph and put it up on their on their um, uh, Twitter page there isn't a traffic person. They don't know anything about traffic because I looked at it right away and I saw the, these two glaring errors right away. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna do a tro trophy shot, this is a trophy shot. Uh, yep. Make sure that it's it's a gold trophy not something that's tarnished in bronze because on the face of this ticket, the count number two, that's a fatal flaw. So count number two would get canceled. Yeah. By yeah. the ticket center. They should, they should, because that's a fatal flaw. Well, look, they've tagged a police officer in that tweet who is a dedicated traffic officer with the uh, uh, traffic section member, lower mainland integrated tactical troop of the RCMP um his twitter account um so you know one would think that that officer would have alerted them to the to the issue as well hard but to yeah, say it's, it's i mean the they're the trophy photos you're right and if you're yeah. gonna put up the trophy photo you better make sure that it's right oh yeah i mean you get a you get an old crutch of the old traffic cop like me that looks at it and right away i go that's a problem i mean you know historically uh, traffic cops don't have the most legible uh, handwriting. Uh, better you, than you doctors. Know. Still better than doctors. <laughs> Not very much, but yes, yes, because um, we're so used to filling these out, you know, dozens of times a day, hundreds of times a month, um, and you know, the penmanship gets a little sloppy. But uh, in this particular case, um, yeah, it's like take your time. <laughs> we all I remember. <laughs> I remember getting impaired driving investigations by, uh, uh, I don't know, Sergeant Lecker. Or, uh, I think he's a sergeant in the end. He was a constable at the beginning of my career, maybe. Um, yeah. He used to handwrite his whole investigation on those old forms, the C, whatever it was called, that just had the spaces, like a paragraph spot. And he handwrote everything. And I would spend hours trying to decipher what he had written, <laughs> trying to figure out what he had recorded for grounds for the demand or what have you uh, i could yeah. never make it out but he'd come to court and he was able to just explain it and you're sitting there going oh, okay you know made, made it hard made it hard he was yeah, like this last person doing that too yeah but that was like a thousand years ago too when we could use codes and symbols and abbreviations and that was our disclosure but now the disclosure has to be uh, detailed so that there's no surprises because i know you know, you write down four words in your notes and suddenly that's uh, 20 minutes of evidence when the lawyer has already asked for disclosure. I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute here. Where's all this coming from and why wasn't it disclosed? Well, that's a, something actually that's become a, a real issue in the last few years that I had never considered. And Kyla is pushing on this one all the time. And that is the obligation to, I mean, it, it's one thing to come to court and remember something 
that you that took place. It's another thing to come to court and remember something, and of course you haven't disclosed that, and that's the defense right. doesn't know about it. And yeah. failure to disclose it—I mean, that's one of the reasons that you have to write everything down—is so you can disclose it. Because if you come to court and you're testifying about something you haven't disclosed, that's a that's a disclosure issue. You've got to, you've that's got right. a yeah. yeah. So. Um, that's, but that was really not even something that I considered 20 years ago when I started my practice, I would just get sandbagged, uh, by police officers who would come and have this other great evidence. And the best you could do is cross examine them and say, you didn't write it down. You didn't write it down. You didn't write it down. But well, look not, at you now not, not characterize it as a charter argument, but look at you now, Mr. King's counsel. Yeah. Look at me now. Kyla's you know, so much better at this than, well, better than me and anybody I know, but. What amazes me is that for so many years I succeeded so well. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm often well, that, shocked when I look back. It's called the, the ability to think on the fly, which is a lost art in in many professions. That's true. That's true. Well, I managed to pull my clients out, and the times that I didn't, it was uh, I, I'm, I don't I don't have a lot of regrets about the way that I handled it. In any event, I look at this uh, at this driving, and I think if they manage to identify the driver to the point where they think they can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt for the purpose of issuing this ticket. Um, it's the same standard. They still have to prove the driver beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't know. Well, prove a dangerous and, driving charge. That's right. And this, because this guy this, is so far over the line. <laughs> well, again, what conversation did they have with him? Did he, did he admit to something that you know maybe he was momentarily distracted or whatever and they decided okay we'll just write him tickets instead of dangerous driving um or or whatever but uh, again you're so limited with what you can put in a tweet that they're not going to pull up but they're not going to put the entire investigation in there as to how they identified the driver but uh if fair, they identify yeah, and if they identify the driver through a, a third party, well, then obviously, you know, if the ticket's disputed, which this guy should do, um, then um, uh, and have the evidence tested, I, I had no problem. People disputed my tickets all the time, and I didn't care because it's like, okay, let's see the evidence, get the evidence tested. Will it will it stand up? Then uh, then they would have to have uh, the other parties show up as their witnesses and. That doesn't happen very often. It's it's a, it's a difficult. I don't see a lot of witnesses show up in traffic court, unfortunately, when things like collisions and whatnot. Um, so um, you know, unless the guy, you know, gave a full full confession, but then there's you know. Well, there's always ones. every once in a while there's that person who shows up, and that person who shows up is usually so zealously invested in it that they're, <laughs> that they're going to be a lousy witness. For the crown in any event um, well well this is true and and uh the company they're the ones who are phoning the officer every week when's the trial when's the trial exactly and the company the the company of this truck company doesn't want this guy to have this ticket because no of course, because it goes for their trucking points and that's the that's worse than a ticket for the driver exactly the nsc number the national safety code number would have been recorded on that traffic ticket and um you know, so I can't see someone from the company volunteering the information. And even if they did and they were the they were the key witness, I could see them not showing up because they don't want it to go against the company. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> well, I mean, in the end, it's the one thing that people forget. And I have to explain this to people when they call in, like probably every second or third person who contacts us about a traffic ticket, you know, it's still the crown's obligation to prove the elements of the offense beyond a reasonable doubt. It's the crown's obligation in traffic court. I think police officers, especially the junior ones, don't get that. You try and explain it to them. Yeah, but, yeah, but they've always got an answer when you're talking to them in the hallway. It's like, well, hang on. See where that well, one goes. You know? Well, that, well I, I know. That's because they don't know their role as crown. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that's, a, that's a conversation for another day. Well, that, we've just had it length. I, 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 I guess there's one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about briefly today. Uh, well, there was three things. I was on the Mike Smith show this morning, and we talked about uh, the um, uh, movement in California to eliminate jaywalking uh, as an offense. Uh, and um, we discussed the pressure on, by some groups to make the default speed limit 50 kilometers an hour in municipalities in British Columbia. And yeah. finally, the fact that there's no yield signs and nobody seems to stop at a fucking stop sign in this province. <laughs> and should there be yield signs? I was thinking that we should discuss that, but you and I started talking earlier. And one of the things that we both mutually discovered or that we've known about and haven't really talked about much is that through the pandemic, a bunch of these old guys, I think Sergeant Christensen in Vancouver, who he's a guy who used to post the great trophy shots, a bunch of these more senior, experienced traffic officers have retired. And I'm talking yes, to have. police officers in, like you, you're another example of it, but you did it just before the pandemic. Um, but um, what we're seeing, I mean, I'm talking to police officers in smaller communities and they're like the only person there. Yeah. Uh, and they're, you know, you ask them about traffic enforcement and they they laugh at you. Uh, and then when you see traffic enforcement, you know, some of the things that I see in Vancouver with the junior officers or in, in Richmond, you wonder if there's any training at all. Um, this is a this is a chronic problem, and I think it's a it, it's one of the labor shortage issues. Oh yeah, that that that's because the first the first place that most departments will will take from to backfill uh, patrol division or general duty, as it's called in in RCMP land, is they'll take from traffic. So. <laughs> Traffic's running short, and then they have uh, the RCMP do this thing where they put uh, newer members, they put them through a rotation through traffic, so they don't know, you know, much about traffic. They're kind of getting their feet wet, and they're they're writing tickets based on certainly not a lot of experience. Um, and the training, there are training issues out there as well because some of the, um. <clears throat> Some of the people that teach the radar courses uh, uh, in the Mounties um, have no idea about certain things about tracking history. And I've seen that in court. You know, I, I've seen a, 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 an instructor. I'm using the I'm using air quotations instructor um, who who had no idea and understood patrol vehicle speed verification when it came to moving mode radar. And it's like, OK, so. Um, and that's the one thing that I always say that a lawyer is if, if there's a, a, an officer on the stand there who, who, who says he's a, he's a, 
a radar or a laser instructor, then grill, grill him about it because chances are he hasn't taught a course yet, or maybe he's taught one or two. Um, traditionally, these type of courses are taught with multiple instructors, so maybe he only talked on one part of it. Uh, and it really weakens their credibility when they say they're an instructor. And then when you start working through their uh, their experience in instructing, you realize that they don't have much. It just looks good on paper. I'm an instructor. Well, then what's patrol vehicle speed verification? I have no idea. <laughs> God, you know, I got a, I remember getting a speeding ticket on Argyle Road in Edmonton, driving a prelude. I had just put a clutch in for somebody when I was about 20. and. Uh, and it was a moving radar. And I look back at it now. I should not have been issued a ticket. I didn't fight it. I didn't fight it because the officer threatened me. He said, you fight this. I am an expert. I'll come in. You know, anyway. Well, the problem that they have, of course, in Alberta is that there's paralegals going to traffic court. And the paralegals, from what I could see when I was there, didn't have a fucking clue what they were doing. And, uh, but as a consequence, it forced lawyers out of traffic court. And so the police, I guess, can just run roughshod because they're not being, there's nobody putting a, really putting the, the gears to them. The paralegals are all retired police officers and you're, you're lovely as a retired police officer, Grant, but you don't have that. Uh, and you're great at picking things apart because that was part of your job. You're better than most, but nobody who's a retired police officer seems to approach it the same way as a defense lawyer. No, although I've had the surgery, so I'm starting to think that way now. So it's all good. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> even, even former prosecutors, even former prosecutors, you know, <laughs> I know some prosecutors are great impaired driving prosecutors and then become defense lawyers. And I have to sort of explain, you got to come at it this way. You got to come in and, and they'll miss things as a result. And that's, well, that's, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you're right. You know, uh, it's a, it's a mindset. It's almost like once you're, once you've, forced yourself into that mindset at the beginning of your career you can't escape it <laughs> you're, you're stuck with it yeah you have to you have to consciously unsubscribe i can only be cynical about the police i i often wonder like i you know how how you could become a judge you know when when i've spent my career doing this I suppose if you were ad hoc but then again you know i i don't know that you'd be nearly as effective at picking out defenses you have any, to you have, this was yeah. this this was a good discussion uh, a really good discussion and there's there's lots more we can talk about i'd certainly love to take the time uh next one to talk about uh you know why so many police officers in traffic court don't understand their role in traffic court they don't understand how to deal with traffic court so yeah, well, this is a discussion we had, and we were going to put pen to paper, and we've got something down. We're just going to have to sit down and finish that project, I guess. But Great that's idea. for another day. That's for another day. Now that we're in our new office, we've got time to do those things and get and back. a lovely office. Just change your yeah. code so I can get in. <laughs> I put in a special code for you. You should know it. Oh yeah, one nine one one. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right, Grant. Thanks a lot. My Take pleasure care. as always. Okay. Take care. Thanks, Prairie Paul. Bye-bye. Yep. Well, the uh the acoustics are pretty good because of course the uh you know, I'm in bed and there's all of this bedding to absorb the uh absorb the sound. Okay. And it's uh uh Thursday night. 
before the holiday. So I left before you could, uh, we could record the podcast. Yeah. You left me alone here to do all of this like horrible trial prep, put together my binder. All alone. You are so funny. You are so funny when it comes to trials, you're so bullish and you're so like ready to go. And then when the actual heavy work comes, like anybody, you're like, ugh. And then you get yourself stressed. And then the day before the trial, once you've written your cross-examination or whenever you write your cross-examination, then you are so like on fire. It's amazing. Um, And then the trial comes and you're questioning yourself all the way through. And then you win and you get sad. Yes. (laughs) And, And it's like the fucking emotional roller coaster it's a hard thing to take um you're uh lovely to be around but it is uh i i the only reason i can handle the emotional roller coaster is because i know what's coming next well you know to be fair you who doesn't really do that many trials anymore you have a similar sort of trial pattern in your um in your brain you get you know, you get depressed and angry that you have to do the trial. And then like the three days leading up to the trial, while you're doing your last minute prep and things, you're always like, you speak in grunts, <laughs> revert to caveman mode. Basically, yeah. You walk around the office without shoes on. Um, and you just kind of like grunt and, and then the trial starts and it's going well. and you uh win and then you grunt more i go home and i'm depressed yeah and you also Um, get sick after you always get sick after yeah that's true yeah i i get it like a cold or something after the trial um yeah you know uh if you can some negotiated resolution is always better for my health yeah better for my 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 mental (laughs) well-being i mean i before the trial, preparing for the trial, I'm always like lamenting my life choices. Yeah. You know, I'm like, why the fuck would I put myself through this? You know, I, I should be able to relax. And most people go to work nine to five. And when they're at home, they can do their own thing. Here I am, you know, 11 o'clock. I'm in the office. I can tell your mood by the like, by with the point in the trial, uh, trial prep where you say, this is the last trial I do. This is the last one. I'm never doing another one. It's like, okay. Yeah. Well. Um, I think I've resolved since then that I'm never doing another one, except I have a few schedule <laughs> schedule. So I keep resolving that and then I keep doing it. That's okay. Somehow, as I was just saying to Grant, I, I succeeded in so many of them that it shocks me. I remember there was a lawyer who I was talking to one day, nice guy was, uh, worked as our summer student one year and he's a lawyer and, and a, a, a neat lawyer. And, uh, he was saying that he felt like he was a loser cause he lost all his trials and he was talking to another lawyer who, uh, um, said, no, you're not a loser. Think how many things you win during the course of the trial. You know, you win the odd four deer, you win this, you win that, you know, just because your client's convicted and goes to jail. And, uh, I thought to myself at the time when he told me this, I thought I, I, I almost never have lost, like I've lost so few trials in the, in the grand scope of things I've started lots of them and had them fall apart halfway through and got, you know, a number of decisions over the years, but I guess I've just been really lucky. Um, and, uh, and fear has made me work hard. 
Um, I believe it's you were really lucky up until 2011. Oh, yeah, sure. There's no doubt once you came aboard uh, <laughs> that you changed the whole, you changed the whole uh, I was wondering everything. If, if you'd get it. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, as I, I think I mentioned this to Grant, I can't believe I said it and you were listening, but I suppose you could listen. It is your podcast. Um, but, um, no, I mean, you're, you're that much better than I am. And I, I concede that and I'm, I'm very proud of you and impressed by you. And I learn from you all the time. So you're, I, I, I still think you're the best lawyer I've ever met. Okay. So best lawyer I've ever met. Why don't we get on to some, uh, podcast topics rather than, uh, idle chit chat. Yes, this is a very interesting case out of Ontario. It's a case called Chisholm, um, and it's an ASD refusal case. And the court uh, the court resolves it in 11 paragraphs, which is like almost unheard of that you would but have. But maybe that's what it should be in an ASD refusal case, you know? No, an ASD refusal case is at least a two-day trial, Paul. Well, it is for you, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a you know yeah. a sixteen page decision. Well, and in this case, the judge says essentially the central issue was whether Crown had proved the failure to provide a su- suitable sample beyond a reasonable doubt, and the judge was left with a reasonable doubt on the basis of the Crown's essentially failure to elicit evidence about certain things. So there was the the officer testified his um uh he said that he gave a description of the test um he provided two self uh test examples where he blew himself to demonstrate to the accused how to provide a sample the accused blew five times without a result and um on the sixth t- attempt uh failed to provide a sample again and he was arrested and then released and the crown also played a video showing that the ESD was used, showing the demand. Um, there were no questions that were really asked by the Crown about the operation of the device, the significance of any of the things that happen when the device is being used, um, or <laughs> really any detail at all. And so in cross-examination, one of the things that was established was that there was a beeping tone when air enters the device. And the officer described a status message Um, there was some inconsistency in his notes and what he said in court about what the status messages was, uh, were, and, um, the crown never sort of got any further details beyond that. So all you had was evidence that if air is entering the device, then it makes a tone. There was a tone on the video. There was inconsistency in the officer's evidence about what status messages appeared on the device. And the crown didn't redirect or ask any questions about it. And the court found that this essentially amounted to the Crown's failure to prove the charge beyond a reasonable doubt because the absence of information about the like the functionality of the device, particularly when this air enters the device, the timing of the tones and the beeps was sufficient for the, the judge to be left with a reasonable doubt that the refusal actually occurred. And he said... Part of the answer may lie in the video evidence, including the tones heard during test sequences, but the Crown did not ask the officer to explain the tones. It's not for the court to engage in an analysis of individual tests without the benefit of witness testimony that has been tested in cross-examination. 
that's interesting because it almost sounds like the defense lawyer in that case just let it go in and left it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, let 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 the evidence go in, the crappy evidence, without digging yeah. into the uh, to what took place, which is a unusual strategy, a and dangerous strategy, and in this case, obviously the correct strategy. Yeah, well, he, I mean, he also put his client on the stand to say, I was trying my best to provide a sample. And yeah. that the the judge disbelieved. But I think the client was disbelieved, right? Yeah, yeah, the judge disbelieved him, but it essentially it came down to WD, where even though he disbelieved him, together with the absence of the explanation about these tones, he was left in a reasonable doubt. Hmm. Well, look, the Alcosensor FST manual for British Columbia users says that the police are supposed to record the status message for every sample in their RCC or IRP narrative. Um, and, uh, and the manner in which the person is blowing that leads the police officer to conclude that they are attempting to thwart the, the, uh, the sample. And how often does that happen? (laughs) Well, and the thing is, I mean, you know, you will very often see you and I have noted, and it it didn't happen at the beginning. And I still think this is because now the devices are seven years in service, right? Um, now you'll see the first blow was a flow high, which would indicate the person's trying to blow, trying to put their air, you know, their exhaled, uh, uh, lung air into it. Uh, and then the next one will be, uh, you know, flow I and S, um, indicating an inconsistent flow rate. Uh, and you know, uh, on that basis, as far as I'm concerned, you cannot conclude that the person's refusing because the first time you see it as a flow high, that just means the person's trying to blow. Maybe they're having difficulty moderating, but now you've got two different blow patterns, which indicates they're trying to change to make the, you know, and find the sweet spot. And this highlights some of the significant problems we have in British Columbia with doing this as an administrative scheme that prohibits cross-examination and puts the burden on the accused or the the applicant uh, to demonstrate their innocence. I can tell you I'm becoming increasingly frustrated with uh, these circumstances like that that we've seen and charter violations that are we're observing in IRP. Uh, police reports. And I, I really think that we're going to have to look for other remedies. Yep. Um, and you and I have discussed this and that's a, a discussion for another week when we've got more time, I guess. We um, are, but, are short on time, but we do have time for one more thing, Paul. What's that? It's the ridiculous driver of the week. A surprising bestseller. The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. I love the ridiculous driver of the week. What do we have this week? Uh, This week we have just how much money can you make committing crime in cars or involving cars? Okay. This is not one driver. This is a catalytic converter theft ring so Mm. now you can probably explain what a catalytic converter is better than me but it's got some 
Well, it's a fascinating thing. So California emission standards in the 1970s uh, required, because of their smog problem, required that uh, any exhaust that was going out uh, had much less particulate matter in it. And so auto manufacturers looked at ways that they could do this. And one of the things they did was they would recycle air from the exhaust back through the through the uh, intake of the vehicle because there's a certain amount of fuel going through. Uh, and then eventually they discovered or settled on the use of what's called a catalytic converter, which fits into the exhaust pipe and reburns anything that's left over. So it gets so hot that it, uh, that it basically destroys anything else that's left over, leaving the exhaust going out mostly just gases and not particulate matter, so not leading to smog. Mm -hmm. Catalytic converters also contain rhodium and other hugely expensive metals. Rhodium is, I think, more expensive than, uh, than gold. Um, so catalytic converters get regularly stolen. And in the last few years, it has become absolutely epidemic. I know the Ford dealership where I take my truck, uh, parked a truck up on one of those ramps. Just one night they came back, both catalytic converters were gone and they are expensive. So catalytic converter theft, big problem. We know about it. Tell me about the ridiculous driver. So this bull, this is the ridiculous driving theft ring. So okay. I, I don't know what you can get. I know catalytic converters are expensive, but I did not realize just how valuable. Like when you say expensive, I think, oh, what, like a hundred bucks? Oh, no, no, no. This theft ring a that ha ultimately resulted in a national takedown effort had $545 million seized from them all yeah. funded by catalytic converter theft. It was cash, luxury cars, real estate, all paid for by stealing the catalytic converters. Like there is some serious money to be made. And oh, they're, they're thousands of dollars to replace them. The investigation. Uh, I don't know what they're getting when they take them in. And and the amazing thing is that there's any any. Uh, metal recycling company that will accept them because they've got to know that everyone's stolen. Well, the, the investigation into it was insane. Like they had um, the Justice Department uh, arrested 21 people. You know, 21 people splitting 545 million. Bam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 21 people, they executed 32 search warrants across the United States. Yeah. 32 search warrants. Isn't that well, crazy? Yeah, it is. But I mean, you know, sometimes the warrant can be a storage locker. So, you know, it could be 10 different storage lockers that the guys have rented. You could have 10 different warrants just for storage lockers. But I just, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded by the money. The, the, the best part, in my opinion, was the one guy who got, uh, identified as part of this ring because he posted a photo of himself on Instagram wearing a necklace that looked like a catalytic converter. Well, isn't that, I remember I saw this, uh, isn't that how they, they initially, um, identified him or the, that was the beginning of the, yeah. of the investigation was he, he had a, uh, like a pendant or something. Yeah. created that looked That's like a catalytic converter. 
who else would be so catalytic converters unless you were like at the manufacturer level yeah um yeah like i what would what like what would drive you to be like i'm gonna wear this catalytic converter around my neck custom silver jewelry that probably costs like at least five thousand dollars nobody will nobody will piece that together wow well i think that's what happens when you've been getting away with a certain crime for so long that you persuade yourself that it's barely even a crime um that's the only way or you've lost you've lost the sense of of that you, you you've come to the conclusion that you're invincible i guess anyway that's uh that's pretty ridiculous so ridiculous catalytic converter pendant theft guy of the week yeah and I love it. Uh, so as as always, the legal advice that stems from that is don't post your crimes on the Internet. Well, don't steal catalytic converters. Well, that's, um, that's, you know, that really makes bad. you an asshole. <laughs> uh, I have I have I, I, I somewhere out there own some catalytic converters. Um, but my old Chevy truck, of course, does not have such a thing. Uh, the interesting thing about the catalytic converter and modern cars is, uh, you know, one of the ways that people used to commit suicide was they would uh, gas themselves to death in their garage with their car. Go into the garage, start your car, let it run. Eventually, you run out of oxygen, you fall asleep, and you die. Not the worst death. Um, you know, not great for your family to discover you in the car, uh, but. As a result of catalytic converters, it is almost impossible to gas yourself in the garage now. So people try and try to do it after catalytic converters were installed in their vehicles in the in the uh, 1980s and 1990s. And basically, you just you're sitting there. Eventually, you're coughing a little bit. Mm-hmm. You go back into your house and get yourself a drink. Yep. All right. Well, that's our podcast. Thanks, Paul, for picking up the slack while I um, alternate between crying and wanting to punch the uh, law with my fists of justice. Uh, (laughs) If you have a driving law related issue, you can give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.